Well, it may be cold in Europe right now, but the ECB is heating up their rhetoric as they fight inflation. The Bank of England were a little less convincing with a vote split three ways on what they should be doing. There are other central banks too as well, which we'll be looking at today. But closer to home, do yesterday's labour market numbers mean more work for the RBA? And similarly, those GDP numbers for New Zealand, an economy that refuses to slow down no matter what the RBNZ does. And lots of PMI numbers today as well. It's still going on. It's Friday the 16th of December 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar has climbed 0.8% on the DXY index this morning with a 0.5% drop in the euro and a 2% drop in the pound and a 2.4% drop in the Aussie dollar now down to 67 US cents. We've also seen the US dollar climb 1.6% on the Japanese yen and a very mixed story with bond yields around the world. US 10-year treasury yields are down three basis points more than that earlier on. Two-year yields are actually up a couple of basis points, but in Germany, 10-year yields are up four. 14 basis points in the UK. 10-year yields are down seven basis points. Uh, meanwhile, US equities are well down a 2.2% fall in the Dow at close, 2.5% off the S&P 500 and a 3.2% drop in the Nasdaq. Overall, IT and communication services are the sectors that are hit the hardest, but nothing is doing well this morning. And falls across Europe as well, including a 3.5% fall in the Eurostoxx 50, the DAX down 3.2% at close and a 1% drop almost in the FTSE 100. An oil heading south again, a 1.6% drop in WTI. This has really picked up actually in the last hour or so, and a 1.8% drop in Brent, uh, heading towards uh, down towards $81 again. So uh, those bond movements are interesting, aren't they? Uh, the direction in each case is sort of determined by the respective central banks. So let's go through them with JB Weir's uh, Sally Old, who joins me this morning. Uh, morning, Sally. Maybe we should start with ECB, do you reckon? Absolutely. So, so there was, a, there was an, another bank... Uh, uh, that said in their note on the on the ECB this morning that it looks like uh, they will be devouring their doves for their Christmas dinner, uh, which is another neat way of saying it. it was it was a pretty hawkish uh, statement coming out of the ECB, wasn't it? Yeah, good morning, Phil. It was it was very hawkish actually. So it was interesting because they raised rates by fifty basis points, and there had been you know some some thinking they would go by seventy five. Um, and there were some media stories doing the rounds that, um, you know, there was a big push to deliver a 75 basis point rate hike, but that got, that got canned. And the compromise was, um, you know, we've got to sound pretty hawkish. Mm. And so, uh, you know, Lagarde basically said interest rates still have to rise significantly at a steady pace to reach sufficiently restrictive levels. Um, and so I think the market has basically taken that to mean that there's going to be, you know, a, you know, further hikes of 50 basis points for a period of time. Um, most sort of forecasters seem to be lifting their forecasts of, of where the terminal rate will will finish in Europe. Um, but I think what really got the market going was that there were huge upgrades to inflation projections, particularly in 2024, um, but also 2025, where on the ECB's numbers, inflation is still um, at least 30 to 40 basis points above their 2% target. So that was pretty hawkish. And then on top of that, they also said that they would be starting quantitative tightening in March, which was earlier than the market expected. So in March, they're only going to reinvest 50% of the maturing bonds. Um, and I think the market is basically saying, well, if if they're starting a, a little bit earlier, that means that they could actually finish um, that process earlier as well. So all in all, um, mm. the rhetoric was very hawkish. The revisions to the forecasts were very, very hawkish. Um, and the news on QT 
mortgage as well. So yeah. that's why we saw, you know, those, those pretty material rises across 10 year yields, um, in European government bond markets. And it's going to take a while still, isn't it? So, I mean, cause they've got, they're saying inflation is going to be what 6.3% next year, 3.4% in 2024. I mean, they only get mm. around to, to, you know, anywhere close to 2% uh, in, in, in 2025. So that's, that's years away. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think that there are some sort of slightly odd things going on with the forecast because it felt like a lot of the developments, um, since the ECB, last published forecast, which was back in September, have actually worked in in the right direction for inflation. So the euro mm. is up, so the currency is working in the right direction. Forward energy prices, uh, particularly gas, um, have have come off as well. And so I think there are, you know, some ECB watchers who are sort of scratching their heads saying it all sort of sounds very hawkish, but we're not sort of convinced that the foundations for, for this massive hawkish shift are are perhaps as robust as as you know you yeah. you would like them to be. So we'll see what happens. I mean they've made it pretty clear that they're they're not going to stop anytime soon. Um and and the market's I think reasonably comfortable that at least for the next one or two meetings we're going to see a couple of fifty basis point rate hikes. Yeah, I mean, but, but then not much more than that because really, I mean, the the, the dot points are basically one hundred and fifty basis points next year, aren't they? So I mean, after a couple of them, there's not much more, not much room for movement unless they're going to move those dot points up because they were saying what three and a half percent by the end of the year next year. Yeah, that's right, and and so this is this is the whole thing where I think you know the market is probably more comfortable and more confident about the near term outlook. So what happens, uh, you know, in Q1, Q2 next year, and it seems like there's probably going to be some, you know, ongoing uncertainty about, about that terminal rate. So, you know, whether the ECB will settle at sort of three and a half or, or four or, or somewhere in between. So mm. we'll see what happens. And, you know, their, their next meeting obviously isn't until uh, 2023 um, and a lot can happen in a short space of time, as we know. So, yeah. but for the time being, the message is definitely hawkish. Yeah, well, they're, they're being hawkish because they don't want to look like turkeys if it all goes wrong. That's the mm. bum bum. Uh, so, <laughs> but I mean, what a reaction on, on bond yields. So two years up more than 23 basis points. They got over 2.4%. They started the month just over 2%. So, that is yeah. quite, a, quite a move up, isn't it? What I found interesting, just before we move off the ECB, uh, was uh, Lagarde talked about the need for more fiscal measures. And I thought it was interesting hearing a central bank talking about what governments should be doing. So you know, they talk specifically about how the EU needs to sort out its governance framework for investment and structural reforms so that fiscal support can be applied effectively. I mean, you don't often hear central banks talking about the work of governments. Normally, they shy away from it, don't they? Because they are independent bodies. But here they are acting in tandem, it seems. It is, it is interesting um, because, you know, typically, I guess there's a, you know, a, a sort of unspoken relationship that, you know, in, in the, the sort of framework of an independent central bank, the government won't criticise the central bank. And, and that sort of means that the central bank, um, you know, will, will generally try to stay out of anything yeah. that's, um, you know, the government's wheelhouse, like fiscal policy. So, yes, interesting to hear Lagarde um, make that comment. But I guess, you know, it's pretty fundamental to the European situation, um, which is, you know, this whole sort of yeah, ability to, to get, yeah, yeah a, a region-wide sort of fiscal arrangement. And I, I guess, you know, for a lot of central banks, the message is sort of, look, we can only really deal with the, the, the cyclical ups and downs of the economy and, and fiscal policy, which is your job. Um, you know, in terms of governments is is much more about sort of ongoing structural reform. So if you haven't even got the right framework in place, 
um, then I think that that makes the the, the ECB's job yeah. even harder than it already is. Yeah, no, exactly. Well said, I thought on her part. Now, look, the the Bank of England uh, not such a unanimous decision. It, it was a fifty basis point rise as well to three and a half percent. But on the board there, one of them wanted a bigger hike. Two of them wanted to pause. Yeah, that was interesting. It was a three way split. So as you say, there are you know a couple who who sort of felt even before last night's rate hike, that policy was sufficiently restrictive with a, a cash rate of 3%. Um, and then there was another one who wanted a 75 basis point rate rate hike. So, uh, you know, a range of opinions on on the, the MPC over in the UK. But in the end, you know, they were... Uh, 50 basis point rate hike was the was the outcome um and and that sort of makes sense in a backdrop where you've got private wage growth running a little bit under seven percent you've still got strong employment growth the gdp numbers have actually come in a little bit better than expected um of late and then of course you know the 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 fiscal situation in the uk is is such that there isn't really any meaningful fiscal tightening um for a couple of years and so that puts a lot of pressure on on the central bank really to deal with the inflation problem so they've said that you know further increases may be required and and so sort of feels like we'll see another 50 basis point increase from the bank of england um in february so they're not done yet either so that presumably is why the FTSE is down so much today it's actually it's it's worst day for two months Mm. a lot of that in the in the in the banking sector because of this expectation of what's coming next presumably yeah that's right so the FTSE is down the pound is down um Mm. 10-year yields are, are down and so I think you know that's markets sort of really adjusting to the reality of a central bank that's not not yet done uh, rate hikes going, um, you know at least for the first couple of quarters of 2023 against a backdrop where um, you know the the Bank of England is is still convinced that that economy will be in recession in in 2023. So it's sort of unusual, I think, in in the sort of world of central banking to see. Uh, a, a central bank, you know, very committed to rate hikes um, in a year in which it's also forecasting recession. So probably not surprising to see stocks lower and and currency lower in that no. context. Yeah, exactly. Yes, and the Norge Bank up just twenty five basis points, up to two point mm. seven five percent, which is which, which is what was expected. And yet we've got a nine basis point rise in their two year yields. Big response actually everywhere in 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 bond markets, isn't there? Uh, and um, a strong hint from you know, like everybody else from the Norge bank that there is more to come. They're interesting because they were, you know, the first G10 central bank to actually start hiking rates, um, I think back in September of 2021. So they were early to the game. But what they told us overnight is that they're not done yet. Um, And like most other central banks overnight, they've lifted their inflation forecasts. They, they too are forecasting a recession in in uh, 2023, um, and they're giving us a message that you know, despite all of that, um, there's there's more, at least one or two rate hikes to come um, in in the first half of next year. So, again, you know, even for one of the the early starters in this tightening cycle, um, you know, what they're signalling is. Um, still not done. Yeah, and and well, a central bank that you might say, well, they've got the least to not obviously. There's places like uh, Japan and China that don't need to worry too much about inflation, but uh, mm. Switzerland doesn't either, really. I mean, you know, inflation is only a little over two percent there, but a uh, fifty basis point rise. I mean, they're following the Fed, and I guess you know that there's repercussions right now. Is if you don't do anything at all uh, when everyone else is lifting rates, you've you've almost got to follow the party. Yeah, that's right. It's very difficult unless, you know, as you said, in the case of, you know, particularly China at the moment, you've actually got economic fundamentals which justify um, a meaningfully different path away from away from the Fed. 
um, it's pretty difficult yeah, not, not to do uh, what everyone else is doing. So a 50 basis point rate hike from the Swiss National Bank um, overnight uh, as well, which only takes their policy rate to 1%. Mm. So I yeah. guess, you know, in there, when we look at it in level terms, um, they might be, they might have done the same as the Fed, but they're still a long way behind in terms of where their, their policy rate sits. Now, the uh, the fall in the Aussie dollar, quite quite a hammering, really. And the ASX mm. 200 down 0.6% yesterday. Um, I guess we, I mean, we saw, was it an example, uh, another example of the very tight labour market yesterday with the, uh, with the, with the labour market uh, data? I mean, is it getting any tighter? And is that part of the thinking that, uh, you know, that it w- it's going to add to the impetus for the RBA to, to do more and to keep on pushing? Because, but, but has it? I mean, we saw this big lift in numbers, didn't we? 64,000 more people working, but no move in the unemployment rate. A big part of this is because of the the migration numbers, isn't it? Well, I think what's interesting is um, the participation rate hit a record high in November. So these were were data for the month of November. So it moved up um, from sixty six point six to sixty six point eight percent. So it doesn't sound like a big increase, but it actually uh, you know is quite meaningful. So the supply side of the labour market is is responding. So that's possibly reflecting. Uh, what's going on with net migration? Um, but yes, a, you know, a huge, a huge number in terms of jobs added in in the month. So sixty four thousand, as you said, um, and unemployment staying, uh, unemployment rate staying unchanged at three point four percent. So that was actually a pretty good outcome, given yeah. that you had supply going up. And what it tells you is that you know demand for labour is still very very strong. So even in the month of November, you know, where we clearly have been getting signs that. Um, you know, at least house prices are continuing to decline. You know, some of the forward indicators around housing, whether it's building approvals or mortgage approvals, are calling quite sharply. You know, it, it feels like that aside, the rest of the economy was still doing very well. Um, and so it reflects the fact that I think, you know, heading into um, the end of the year, the economy still has a fair bit of momentum to it. Um, and I think the message for the RBA would be, um, a bit like a number of these other central banks we've seen overnight, um, you know, the job is not not done yet because until you take some heat out of the labour market, you just can't be confident that you've done enough to get inflation on a trajectory that's consistent with, uh, you know, the medium term inflation target. So, right. but the unemployment, pretty, but, know, but the unemployment rate isn't falling, is it? So it's not as though we're seeing a tighter labour market. We do, we've got more people working, but we've also got more people going into the into the labour force as well. So it's not. Yeah, so you've got a stable might, unemployment rate. Although I think if you look at, um, you know, some of the measures of. Um, Underemployment or some of those broader measures of capacity in the labour market, they did actually fall in the month of November. So, you know, a bit like all statistics, depending on which one you look at, you can you can find something that suits the story. But I think the way to think about it is that, you know, sort of worst case scenario, most of those measures of capacity were unchanged and some of them actually went even lower in the month of, of November. So um, I guess the problem for the RBA is that even if the unemployment rate is unchanged at 3.4%, that's still a super tight labour market. And I don't think, you know, you could have any degree of comfort that that wages growth was going to cool mm. um, with an unemployment rate in the, you know, mid threes. 
I've had big movements in the US as well. Equities there down quite a lot and, uh, and, and movement in the bond markets as well. I guess some of this is the follow through from the, from that very hawkish Fed yesterday, isn't it? But also, I mean, they've had, mm. they've had weaker data as well. So we saw a 0.6% month on month fall in retail sales, the biggest fall in 11 months. Uh, and look, you know, we've also seen a fall in new orders. The Philly Fed index uh, has shown mm-hmm. that and a 0.6% fall in manufacturing production as well. So all of that's, you know, showing a slowdown. It's happening. Look, if the Fed hadn't, be already been and we saw these numbers sort of like a day out or two from the fed that, that I, I suspect equities would be going the other way because everyone would be going oh they're gonna to have to ease off you know the economy yeah. is slowing the job's done they're you know they're going to be they're going to be very dovish uh but we know that is not the case all they're focused on is jobs they don't care about these numbers yeah that's right and then you know the, the one piece of information we did have about the labor market overnight which was that weekly jobless Claims series was mm. actually stronger, so claims were yeah. lower um, in 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 the last reading. So, I think this is going to be you know a little um, I guess example or a little vision of what you know maybe the first quarter or two of twenty twenty three is going to look like, where we're still going to have central banks that that are saying we've got more to do, we're not finished against a backdrop of data which are weakening, and that's going to be pretty uncomfortable, I think. For equity markets, because, you know, when, when we listened to Powell yesterday, you know, he's not talking about rate cuts, right? So he doesn't even want to have that discussion. He's saying basically at the moment, it's working, working out about how much further we have to go. Um, and then holding rates at quite a restrictive level for a protracted period. So basically saying, you know, we're, we're not going to give in in the face of weaker data. Mm. Um, Mm. Until we're confident that inflation is, you know, very much on a trajectory towards 2%. So that's a different environment for equity markets um, relative to other tightening cycles in the past decade where the Fed has lifted rates and then has been pretty quick to reverse course. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, this, I think it, it could be a reasonably uncomfortable or, or, or quite challenging backdrop for equity markets if you've got a hawkish Fed. Um, and, you know, signs that the economy is starting to buckle under higher rates. Well, it means less seat of your pants and more looking at the trend, doesn't it? You know, Indeed. That uh, would be unfamiliar territory for a lot of them, <laughs> I would have thought. <laughs> uh, look, the, the slowdown is not happening much in New Zealand. Uh, just finishing off on this, really, the uh, the GDP there up 2% quarter on quarter in Q3. Mm. That is well out of the ballpark for uh, predictions, which whoever's numbers you're looking at. Yeah, that's right. This is the economy that just basically refuses to buckle. Um, yeah. You know, even the more hawkish the RBNZ gets. So, you know, really strong GDP numbers boosted very much by the external sector. And a lot of that is all around services exports. And so this is the resumption of tourism. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, that sector on its own added, I think, 1.7 percentage points to the overall number. So pretty phenomenal. And then what it meant was that, when you look at what the domestic economy is doing, so just sort of domestic demand, that was only up, I think, about three-tenths of a percent. And in fact, household consumption actually contracted in the third quarter for the second consecutive quarter. Um, but it has seen, you know, forecasters, um, you know, start to, to rethink what the RBNZ might deliver um, at their first meeting in February of next year. And the market's pricing in just a little bit under a 75 basis point rate hike from them, which is phenomenal given that, you know, that would take their target rate to 5% um, in, in, in early February. So we talk about, you know, central banks keeping up with the Fed. I mean, we're sort of almost at the point where the, the, the RBNZ is, is about to overtake um, the Federal Reserve if, if those sorts of 
forecasts are realised. So, but, but if you've got a slowdown um, yeah. in con- if you've got a slowdown in consumption, domestic consumption, but you've got an increase in mm. export earnings, that's got to be a good situation to be in, hasn't it? I mean, surely that's a, that's, that's sort of like almost like a Goldilocks environment where the, the the central bank will be saying, well, this is exactly the way we want to go, isn't it? In theory, yes. But um, you know, I think there was an RBNZ official who spoke maybe earlier in the week and and just basically said the only place in the economy where we're seeing any signs that interest rates have had any sort of effect is housing, um, and beyond housing nothing really seems to be giving way. And so mm. if that's the case, you know, it's, it's sort of a bit like the US, like until we really see the labour market buckle and start to give up some of the gains that, you know, we've seen over the course of this year, how can we as as forecasters be, you know, confident that we've done enough to get inflation lower? So I think, you know, all this really sort of tells you is that, um, you know, even as we finish 2022, we're still at the point where markets are having to reassess higher where some of these central banks are going to finish. And I think what that does is really start to, to sort of shift the distribution of risks or tilt the risks um, to, to the growth outlook in 2023 and 2024, yeah. um, probably to the downside. So that tourism story is interesting, isn't it? Because, of course, you know, with China yeah, easing uh, its lockdowns, and we mm. had the monthly activity data was weaker than expected, incidentally, on China. But, you know, it's, it's what happens there next, which counts, isn't it? And that uh, easing of lockdowns seems to be happening faster than anticipated. So that could be good for tourism, uh, and that's mm-hmm. going to help New Zealand. But but Australia, in 2019, Chinese tourists spent $12.4 billion in Australia, that is a quarter of all our tourism earnings. That's how important China mm-hmm. is as a uh, uh, as a as an export earning uh, for the for the tourism industry. So, look today very quickly. Uh, you know, it's been an exciting week. It's uh, it just gets even more exciting, Sally. Well, maybe a little less. It's PMI day today. After everything we've been through, perhaps it's less exciting. But PMIs for the US, the UK, Europe, uh, separately for Germany, uh, and uh, this might add to the slowdown story, or perhaps not. Maybe it'll show things going the other way but certainly things are not settling down before Christmas are absolutely. they? Absolutely no rest for the wicked indeed yeah those PMIs will be important the US ones generally when we look back to the prior month in November they were a bit softer than expected and in Europe we had the, the opposite outcome they actually held up a little bit better than most had expected so we'll see what what we get to tonight um, but you know typically these are indicators that, that have pretty distinct trends in them you know when they're rising they're rising when they're falling they're falling so um, you know, I think the best we could probably hope for is that they're unchanged from um, last month's reading. But I think we know that the, the trend in most of those indicators is is lower, not higher for the next couple of months at least. Well, Sally, it's been great having you on to the team this year. Have a great Christmas and uh, look forward to talking to you next year. Thanks very much, Phil. Same to you. And that's it. That's the morning call for this week. We are back next week, a shorter week of the morning call, just till Wednesday. But I'll be back on Monday morning. I'll see you then. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Have a great weekend. <laughs> 